It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across new and pre-owned petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid and electric Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. And I have to say again, thank you to everyone who sent me in their sunflower snaps. You have still time if you want to send them in. I was talking about it yesterday and the well of sunflowers that came my way yesterday during the show to myself personally afterwards was incredible. If you have taken the pictures yesterday, you can still send them in to me. We're looking for the tallest, if we can get a really, really tall one. We're up around 10, 11. Some people think they have a 12 footer, but any picture of a sunflower brightens anybody's day. It really does. 086-1800-658. You can still WhatsApp or text me your sunflower pick this afternoon. And I have to say a big thank you to Gronya Lynn. Thank you so much, Gronya. She sent me in three beautiful pictures uh, after the show yesterday, into yesterday evening. One of herself in the middle of a field of sunflowers and they're down Seapoint Way, down Terminfeck and Seapoint Way. I believe there's a field of them down there. You're looking great, Gronya, in the... In the uh, in the field full of sunflowers, there's one of our mammy, Joan Farley. Hello, Joan, who celebrated a very special birthday recently, enjoying the sunflowers. And once you got in close to the sunflower, and there's a bee working away on the head of the sunflower itself. Well done, Grania. Lovely snaps. Thank you so much for sending them into us on the show. Now, today on Late Launch, I continue my Brian Adams story. We're going to hear about a local man who's lost a lot of weight. Salad leaves, the best in the country, being grown in the raw. Royal County by Stephen McCormick. John Sweeney's back with us. The climate change report Sunday, Monday. Well, it's frightening and John will have a word with us in a wee while. There's an annoyance at a rewilding sign that was put in a cemetery in Dundalk. We're going to hear from Anne McKeown about that in a while. But first up today, she is a good friend of ours. And I say it again. She's the most remarkable woman, probably the most remarkable woman I've ever spoken to on my time on this show. And I mean those words sincerely. You know, Eileen Rush, uh, she went for a smear test in 2017. It was read correctly as abnormal, but the follow up treatment and procedures did not happen. And as such, she is dealing with terminal cervical cancer at this stage. And she's just back from her treatment this morning and she's on the line. What a woman. Eileen, hello. Hi, Derry. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I, you Don't ask me that. I'm fine, honestly, Eileen. <laughs> uh, that's my question to you. How are you? I'm doing remarkably well. Today was day one of... Um, I've started a course of brain radiotherapy 
So the, the cancer spread to the brain and today was number one of 10 treatments. So uh, I'm feeling well. My dad dropped me up. I'm very lucky to have my support system in place I have. And, uh, yeah, the way I look at it is about a month ago, I got the bad news that the cancer had um, spread and had come back. But at the time, we weren't sure if there was any options. But I've got... Um, so I get this course and then they're going to hopefully all going well give me the Pembro drug so I feel kind of blessed that those options are available to me you know because they could not be (laughs) so I'm feeling very lucky (laughs) So this gives you more time? That's it that's what I've told you from the start is I have Seamus who's just finished um, second year in St Oliver's and that's my goal is just to get as much time as I can with him and my family um, and hopefully in some reasonable level of health, I suppose, which I am. You know, I, I am mm. coping um, very well, I suppose, with the side effects mainly being tiredness. Um, but I'm, I'm so, so, so lucky with the people around me, my family and my friends. So I feel um, I feel very fortunate. And people laugh at that, like, you know, because you could feel sorry for yourself and go into a hole. But I try and, um, you know, just take every day as it comes. And uh, I've been just totally, I suppose, enveloped by support in my community in Strada. And you wouldn't believe the miraculous medals I get in the post. And just the pure and utter love I get off people makes every day just better than the previous one. Mm, You're a star in the online world. You know that with all these (laughs) friends and the pictures we see of you here, there and everywhere. But you have a wide and dedicated network that are there for you. They're your safety net. Can I say that? A hundred percent. I don't, I can't really tell you how much that means to me. The people, like people get in touch and then they're so, like, you know, I get people saying, I don't want to assume you're Catholic or anything, but I have a mass card if I can send it to you. And people just are just so kind. And I think, you know, if someone wakes up on a day and they take a moment out of their time to think of me and my family, you know, it just makes me feel so precious um, and just so loved. Um, and yeah, I did a video there when I I was in hospital there last week. I wasn't well. And I I was finding a bit of annoyance in what was going on with um, COVID and without going down that route. And I just shared a video and I asked people to get the information about the, the HPV vaccines and to get their information from a solid place. And then whatever decision anybody makes, that's all they can do is do their best to make it with the information available to them. So I would always encourage people to go to the Irish Cancer Society as number one, get the information and make your decision um, as a parent um, to the best of your ability. So the video I shared actually had, um, I think it's at about 8,000 views, Jerry, which I don't know how many people. So I felt... Um, I like I don't want to sound like um, I'm at a pope over here telling people what to do, but I find um, I got great relief out of that, that I felt that I'd shared my message. And I think it's important to understand, had that vaccine been available for me, I, I wouldn't be dying. And I just see it that black and white in my mind that like my son would see me grow up. Mm. Um, and that's how I see it. But now everyone, as I've always said, is entitled to their own opinion. And as long as they get their information from a valid source, that's all you can ask of people, you know? Yes, yes. And and the same applies to COVID. Those words you say there, yes. uh, there are so many 
uh, conspiracy theories out there put forward by people at random and you know without a basis and and it's shocking really it really is shocking but coming back to the HPV I saw that video and that's why we're talking to you today you have no doubt you know people as you say you're a a real supporter of and of the screening program uh, the the, uh, cervical screening despite what happened to yourself 100% look um, it's never okay that mistakes are made and there's men and women across the country have suffered at the hands of people making mistakes and that's not okay and I would never ever say that is the case but it's happened. So what's happened to me has happened. I, I refuse to leave. If I'm here for five weeks, months or years, I'm not living it through anger at what should have, could have, would have been. I, I would tell Seamus, you know, people make mistakes. You have to forgive them for them and we have to learn from them. And um, for me personally, um, absolutely, I couldn't be far, like more supportive of the screening programme. It saves lives. All the screening programmes, Jerry. there's so many of them out there. The, the bowel screening programme, the mammogram, all of them, and they exist to help us. And as I said, nothing is perfect in this world, but all you can do is your best if you're asked to come forward to take part in the programme. And unfortunately, it is a bit of a hope, which again, isn't good enough. It should be black and white. Mistakes should never be made, but they are made. And all we can do is go forward with them. For me personally, I learn from them. I try and couldn't be more aware of my own health. And I give my opinion where it's valid. Um, And I just try my best to live with that and go forward, you know. Do you never have a moment where you just say, why me? And you think, why did it happen to me? And and get angry within yourself. Um, I don't know if it's anger. If I'm totally honest, for me, it affects... I hate my family having to go through it. That more so than me. You know, I hate that. I hate that I have to explain to a 14-year-old anything to do with it. You know, that I don't know if it's anger that would come across me or maybe a bit of anger, but I... Again, it's just about living with what you have, Jerry, and making the most of it. And I, I'm still so blessed with my parents and my cousins, and like I couldn't ask for more support. And um, so, you know, I try not to do that personally. Go down the why me route, and look, everyone's entitled to, and it's totally understandable if you're facing a, a diagnosis of any type of cancer, feeling sorry for yourself is valid you know but for me personally I don't get anything off that I I try to share more positive um, look for me and that's what that works works for me it doesn't mean everyone has to follow my suit and everyone's entitled to their own feelings and matters but I look um, every day (laughs) I couldn't tell you the support I get off people it's random like a lady came to my house the other day and said she'd watch the video and gave me a note and 50 euro to bring Seamus to the cinema. She wanted to treat him. Oh, lovely. And, like, I mean, it's not about the money, but it's like that gesture. Yes. For me to explain to Seamus the niceness of random people, it does my soul good. You know, it, it, like at the worst of times, you have to try and find the best of times, you know? Well, that's how I get through it. <laughs> the worst of times, you have to find the best of times. That's going to... Yeah. Stay with me and I'm sure all our listeners today. Just hang on those words, folks, because Eileen, you live every day. And, you know, in life, we're busy running about doing this, that and the other. We get a setback, we get ill, we recover from it. And we sort of forget then, you know what I mean, when we were in a scenario. But really, if we could all live each day as if it's the last and 
do our best and enjoy it and take in everything that it brings us, wouldn't it be a wonderful world? That's what I try. I try, like, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I can't today, I can't be positive today. But then the next day I try a bit harder and I get there, you know. So I think, for me personally, life's too short for everybody. You never know what's around the corner. So you may just take it as it comes and then just try and appreciate whatever sent your way, I think. In, in terms of, you know, the other aspects of your life, you have this treatment and it's ongoing now. It's not leaving you sick or anything like that? Well, it's brand new. So what I've been told to expect is is extreme fatigue. T- so right, OK. I'm not there yet. So I have 10 treatments on the brain. That's a bit scary, I won't lie to mm. The brain, you know. Mm. And what do we really know about the brain? But that's 10 treatments. And then they'll hopefully put me on the Pembro. Mm. Uh, drug um, and that would be once every three weeks yes. so that's grand because I can manage that the other two weeks I won't have treatment you know so yes. again I just uh, have to wait and see but the main side effects I've been told effect is, is expect is just um, tiredness Yes. so yes. I can manage that yes. just so you don't have the queasy stomach or anything like no. that or pain or nothing like that Eileen no not too bad. It comes, like, I won't lie, sometimes I yes. do have the pain, it comes and goes, but nothing that stops me living, you know, so mm. I just try and get on with it as best I can, you know. <laughs> do you, you know, you said you're living for Seamus, your son. He's yes. 14, going on 15, he'll be going into third year now in secondary school, and it's really him. It, it's it's the milestones in his life, you want to be there for as many as you can, is that it? Yeah, I mean, that's upsetting for me because, you know, if you write them down, the Debs, the, the junior, they're leaving, and I don't know what of that I will make. But, you know, all I can do is try to make him prepared for what's ahead of him as much as I can. And we're very lucky that I have my parents and my siblings and we're a very close family that he has and my friends and everything. He has a, a wide support network. We're not short of support. I mean, I would love to... I probably need to update him a bit more on where I am medically, and sometimes I go between just giving too much information and not enough information. That balance is... Like, that's not perfect. I don't think anybody has that perfect. But I just try and explain to him each day as it comes that the doctors are working their magic trying to keep me here, and that's all we can do is our best, you know. And mm. that seems to work for him for the moment anyway. He's an intelligent fella, like you wouldn't pull the wool over his eyes. So I just take it as it comes with him, mm. you know. He's like his mammy. <laughs> He's smarter <laughs> than me, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, 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 you're content, you're reassured that Seamus will be looked after and... 100%. I couldn't. I'm very lucky I had him so young, Jerry. I had him in first year in college and, you know, at the time it wasn't the, the plan, but mm. I couldn't, it couldn't have all worked out better that my parents have been so involved because they were very young grandparents. Um, not that, that, you know, but they've been very involved from day one. Um, and, you know, no, I've no doubt that he'll be overcared for. He'll be given out that there's too many people minding him, I'd say. But no, we're very lucky. Um, and I, I have the same friends from play school. I have a wider net group of people I've met since that I haven't, you know, I just, we are literally surrounded by love and surrounded by caring people. So 
I feel that he won't need for anything really and I'm lucky in that way you know mm. other people might not have the same support system whereas I most certainly do mm, you do indeed Eileen and you know what you're a total inspiration, may I say, to me and to so many people that I know and I know to our wide listenership as well. Many people have stopped me and remarked your story and oh, how you. you inspire them every day and you ground people. You bring us back to where we should be and make us think and look at things through uh, different eyes and a different perspective, yours. And you've done huge, huge good and you continue to do that with so many people. I just want to tell you that. You really do. Thank you so much. That's so lovely to hear. It's so genuine and I really appreciate to hear that. It's nice because sometimes you think you're waffling on so it is nice to ah, no. maybe I'm having a good impact on someone's day. <laughs> no you're making a huge impact they often say you know in life it's not the length of life it's the time and what you do in that time frame yeah, and none of us I know agree. what that time frame is some get luckier than others others don't but you have certainly made such a wonderful wonderful impact and continue to do so and I hope you do for weeks months and years to come Eileen Rush thank you so much Jerry. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Take care of yourself. It's lovely Bye to talk yourself. to you today. God bless you, Eileen. Bye-bye, Eileen. Bye-bye. I feel about that tall. I feel tiny when I speak to that woman. I really do. I feel insignificant. That's all I can tell you. I'm sitting here thinking things I get annoyed about in life, things that we all do and get caught up in stupid things when you look back at them and we probably don't appreciate what we have when we have it. We don't. It's a human thing. But that woman would just bring you back to earth. Wouldn't she? Wouldn't she really? Oh my God. She's simply wonderful. She's wonderful, Eileen Rush, and I thank her for speaking to me today and you hear there you know she's doing well on the new treatment and she'll have the Pembro to look forward to beyond this I wanted to ask her she's tiredness she's very tired but she's not physically sick or a little bit on the pain side as well you hear that but look at her outlook in life look at her outlook when she's living with terminal cervical cancer isn't it simply amazing ponder what she says take it with you in your little box of tricks in life going forward from today and live life with Eileen Rush in mind. Our news team reporting today that Loud County Council have apologised following complaints from members of the public about a sign in St Patrick's Cemetery in Dundalk. To tell us more, Anne McKeown is on the line. Hello Anne. Hello Jerry. how are you? I'm very good. Tell us about this sign, where it is and what the issue is. Well, actually, today, because I knew you were going to call me, I went to the graveyard and I counted seven signs in the old part of the graveyard as of one o'clock today. So they may have apologised, but they haven't removed the signs as they said they would. So there's seven signs uh, dotted around St. Patrick's. And I'm looking at pictures here. It's highlighting areas that are overgrown and grown wild. Is this from the point of view, Anne, that people believe it's disrespectful to the people resting there? Is that it? It's totally disrespectful to the people resting there. When you buy a plot in the graveyard to bury somebody, you don't go in to think that this is what's going to happen Mm. in the we haven't had a patent under there now for two years, and they've really, they've really uh, gained by not having to keep the graveyard up to standard, as far as I'm concerned. 
Um, there are graves, beautiful graves kept by older people with four areas directly around it with hay. It's not wildflowers. Now, there are wildflowers there today, yes. I've seen them today. Yeah. There are wildflowers, but they're few and far between. As far as planting them, it was a fail because it's hay, not flowers. You know, Anne, I'm familiar with the cemeteries around the Drogheda and Greater Drogheda area, and yeah. I have to say to you that there's been a big push, you probably know this, and, and, and all over Loudmead in the country, you know, to tidy up cemeteries, especially parts maybe where they don't have relatives living, you know, oh, old yeah. graves and that, and yeah. people go in, and there are volunteers who do great work all over, and they're yeah. lovely to behold. And you know what? Yeah. I'm with you on this one. I think it's a poor idea. It's whoever thought that this was a good idea, it, you know, they need their head examined because as far as I'm concerned, it's a complete fail. And saying that it's in line with the National and Local Biodiversity Action Plan, not in a graveyard. Mm. The roundabouts were beautiful. Along the, the bypass, beautiful. Yes. Flowers round town, beautiful. 100% top mark. But to use a graveyard and disrespect it in this fashion just goes against everything that I believe in. I have a garden full of flowers. I have bees. I have butterflies. I have everything in my garden. There's a time and a place for everything, Jerry. But graveyard, no. I couldn't dis. I couldn't disagree with you on any word you say there. And I, and I, I'll say this. I think you mentioned it there. If it is the surround of the graveyard, you know what I mean. Along, uh, yeah. you know, oh, yes. fine. Manicured. Yes, absolutely. And 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 let it. You know that it's part of the the perimeter yeah. or anything like yeah. that. But through the graves and that, looking at this here, it don't look right. No, it's absolutely horrendous. It yeah. is now the the lower end of the graveyard, where it's the lawn graves, lovely. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. But these are old graves. People whose relatives are long, long gone. Yes. There's nobody there to keep the grave up to spec. And, you know, it's totally disrespectful. Now, there's not somebody buried in all those patches. There are blind patches in between. How somebody can't walk through there with a strimmer and cut that down twice a year even. Yes. Just to keep it tidy. To respect the people who are trying to keep... Now... Two weeks ago, I went to the graveyard with my friend. That's where I saw the sign first, and I nearly had a fit that day when I took the photograph and put it on Facebook. And um, there was an old lady. She had a beautiful grave for her husband. Lovely, well kept, lovely flowers on it, and everything else. The grave to the right, the grave to the left, the grave in front, and the graves behind were hayfields. And this little lady was in the middle of all this, trying to keep her husband's grave night. My friend who was with me went to her aunt's grave and although it's well kept, all the stuff had come in from the grave next door and we had to pull it all off. Mm. You know, it's total disrespect. I don't believe there's another graveyard in the country that looks like this. Mm, I've never seen it. I've never seen it before. I have to say to you, this is the news to me too. And I, I can hear how annoyed in your voice you are. And I take it there are others of similar vein to yourself that are up in arms about this. And this is supposed to be in line with national and local biodiversity action plans, mm. not in a graveyard. No, not in a resting place, a sacred place where people uh, lie for uh, eternity and their families love to keep the place well. Yes, total, total disrespect by the council. So you, are- you're calling today, signs away, <laughs> strimmers in and let's yes. get it tidied. Well, maybe a few of them that are in there 
and that have nothing else to do could go out with a couple of pairs of clippers and clip some of it back because you know I, I don't understand that when you when you die and you need a grave in the graveyard you have to pay for it mm. it doesn't come free mm. it's not a plot of ground that the council said here you can bury your loved one here you buy it you pay the council and you expect the council to keep the area where you bought this with respect mm. but this is total disrespect no, I've I... never in my lifetime have I ever seen the graveyard in the state that it is at this moment in time. Now, it was bad last year. Mm. But we didn't have the signs and the biodiversity plan hitting it then. We do now. And it's an easy excuse to cut back on having the, the graveyard well kept. Listen, Anne, uh, I hear your, what you're saying. We all do. And you're calling on the signs to go on the uh, areas to Absolutely. be tidied up and yeah. uh, respect call for Anne. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me the call back. Thank you so much. Not at all. Thanks indeed. That's Sorry. Anne McKeown uh, in Dundalk this afternoon speaking about St. Patrick's Cemetery. Any other cemetery around the northeast have these signs managed for wildlife in your cemeteries or areas allowed go wild? But these signs in particular, this uh, really was a first for me, I have to say, when I saw this. If you have, let me know. If you have a comment on what Anna's been saying there, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show now. We were talking to Anne McKeown before, too, about those uh, signs in St. Patrick's Cemetery in Dundalk. Uh, it's quite a bit of reaction to it, I have to say. Everything that woman said is true, Jerry. No, another excuse for the council not to maintain the areas around the graves. Uh, another one from a list in Meath and um, Geraldine says our parish priest is planning on planting wildflowers around the church in Minalty uh, and we're just wondering what it'll be like well you know around the church and that I think is fine you know what I mean it's uh, it's there are no people I take it interred there or whatever and I think that could turn out quite nicely to be honest with you uh, another one here saying biodiversity Jerry is a way of doing away with labour take a trip to the New Grange monuments Jerry to see the state of the place oh my God, says another listener, and so on and so on they go. Now, we move on on a late lunch, and I suppose it related to, you know, uh, not cutting back. Well, look, at the, the council's policies, I have to say, of allowing verges to go wild, encouraging wildflowers and bees and that. It's great, and it's great for the environment. But you do know that a UN report on climate change was published on Sunday, and it's the opinion of 90 leading climate scientists that we're facing a nightmarish scenario for the coming decades and beyond. We spoke to him but a few weeks ago, and he uh, marked our cards on this. He said, this is coming, and he's back with us today. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show John Sweeney. He's Emeritus Professor in the Geography Department at Maynooth University and regarded as a world-renowned renowned specialist on climate change. John, good to talk to you again. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for coming back to us. Look, I'm going to be devil's advocate here for a minute. I've been talking, <laughs> talk for a living, but I've been talking to people on and off air since the report came out, John. And, you know, some people say, look, Jerry, uh, this is it has happened for centuries, millennia on this planet, number one. What, here in Ireland, we're tiny. We can't affect anything. If the States and China and Australia and India and Africa don't do their bit as well, what do you say in response to those contentions? Well, it's a, I, I've described it as a morally bankrupt uh, argument, Jerry, um, and it's rather, I think... 
stupid in some ways to say, you know, what about other countries? If we are not pulling our weight in our own country, we can hardly point the finger at other countries, Some of whom, many of whom have actually not emitted historically anything like the length of time that we in Ireland have been emitting. <clears throat> it's worth pointing out that we in Ireland, although we may think we're insignificant, we emit more greenhouse gases than the 300 million poorest people living on this planet. So, you know, if you take that 300 million poorest people, we make a contribution to them not being able to harvest enough food for their family, not being able to overcome droughts and, and all sorts of hazards as well. And of course, you know, the big countries, yes, the G20 countries do bear much more responsibility for tackling this problem. And the pressure should be on them and really is on them. But that doesn't absolve any other country from pulling its weight. If you want to walk down the main street of Dundalk this evening and throw your train tickets or your crisp packet on the, on the ground and say, Asher, my little crisp packet doesn't matter uh, with all those other litters that's uh, appearing on the ground itself. It's rather like that argument. We all have individual responsibility, both uh, as, as people, but also as countries, and we have to pull our weight in terms of fighting what is ultimately a problem that will come back to bite us as much as anybody else in the future. And that, that in a way, is what the, the message of this uh, IPCC report is. And I know your listeners are probably saying to themselves, oh, another climate report, I'm getting immune to those. Why is there a big fuss over this particular one? And I, I just wanted to say, well, this is the Big Bang. This is the gold standard climate report, which only comes out maybe once every seven or eight years. The last one was way back in 2013. And it's put together by, by 234 authors um, who have received comments from the whole atmospheric climate community around the world. They've received and processed 80,000 comments on their work. They've looked at 14,000 scientific papers. And so, you know, we really can't shake the conclusions that they've come to. And, and those are quite, they're not very good conclusions, really, for the rest of us. What they're saying effectively is that we're running out of time to tackle this problem, that uh, no matter what we do, we're going to be warming uh, past that 1.5 degree value uh, over the next 20 to 30 years. And it's a case now of saying, how bad do we want it to get for our children and for our grandchildren? And, and that's the message that's coming across because um, they're painting a picture of uh, us having wasted time on the planet, uh, having stewarded this planet really badly as people, uh, and really they're saying to us, well, the, the window is closing, and uh, if you want your children and grandchildren to have a sustainable future, now is the time to act. There's no, no time left for procrastinating, there's no time left for pointing the finger at China, or pointing the finger at India, pointing the finger at the US. It's up to us, both as individuals and as a country, to pull our weight in, in this global effort. I want to come on to that now, and you've nailed my retort, John. Thank you so much uh, for doing uh, that for me today. Um, there's two aspects to that, that, right, it's it's down to us to make a change, and it, there's a sort of a, a split here. So, if you look at ways we can, and I want to talk to you about this, influence this, and I'll come on to what we can do personally, ourselves, starting with the power of one in a moment, but firstly, I, I was just reading, you know, uh, aspects of uh, what we could do as individuals. 
Unions, uh, lobbying our political classes, the divestment movement and also uh, getting in touch with companies and pressuring them in whatever way we can to reduce their ecological footprint. They're sort of at the, the macro level. They are, and I think that they're very good suggestions, Jerry. because what I think is important is all of the responsibility for this problem should not be left at the doors of individuals. Mm. You know, we shouldn't have a complex that says we're doing our bit, but people upstairs are not doing their bit. So I think you're quite right there. You know, we do need strong leadership. We need guidelines. We need rules and laws which facilitate us as individuals taking action. And those targets that you've mentioned are are ideal. I mean, we need, as consumers, to express our choices via our purchasing power, for example, uh, on what we buy. We We also, as citizens and voters, need strongly to demand stronger leadership and to ask our politicians to respond to what is the global community good at this point and not to think in terms of a five-year electoral cycle or not to buckle under the pressure of powerful interest groups that are always lurking in the background uh, to maintain the status quo and to maintain their own profits. So I think your your suggestions there are good, uh, but they must be married also with, with us pulling our weight as individuals Mm, mm. uh, at the same time. But the message you give today is don't think that you're not uh, having an effect or influencing in those areas. Go, go for it now, make changes, get on to companies, lobby politicians and divestment, of course, is where businesses look to downsize or rescope their business activities in line with what's needed to save the planet. That is really good to hear that. Now, come on to ourselves, the power of one. Home efficiency. I think you mentioned this the last day you were on me, just to repeat it again. This is, and it was one thing I think you stressed the last day. Come back to that for me again, would you? Well, efficiency in terms of how you use energy, I think, is quite important. I mean, we can be very wasteful in terms of how we how we use energy, either driving our cars or, or even in our houses. I, and, you know, I'm a hypocrite because I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I, yes. I guess in the car to drive distances that I should be walking or cycling. So we, we can make those kind of changes which would be good for our health. Um, in terms of our transport choices. Go on public transport once it's safe to do so. Um, In terms of our houses, um, then, you know, we're we're sending an awful lot of heat energy out our windows, up our chimneys, through our walls and floors. And, you know, if we can improve our insulation, um, it will benefit us, it will save us money in the medium and long term. Now, there are difficulties there. Of course, if you're living in a house that you plan to sell in three or four years, you may not recoup that. And that's where the, the organisation at political level needs to kick in to facilitate people to make those informed choices, which they may not benefit from, but the next residents may well benefit from. And that's in housing. We also need to improve the way we produce food. Um, we, we have an enormous uh, emission of, of a methane going on in Ireland, which uh, methane is a gas which, if we can control it, will give us a quick return in terms of improving our, our greenhouse gas um, emissions successfully. So there are those three areas, and then there are also, of course, the need to push away from 
subsidizing fossil fuel. I mean, I, it seems crazy to me that at a time when we're on the edge of, a, of what, this is not a wake-up call, on the edge of an emergency, that we're actually using taxpayers' money to subsidize people to, to, to burn things. So mm. that, that's the other aspect. We have to move quickly to renewable energy sources. And we're making good progress there. Uh, I think uh, 70% of our electricity w- will be capable of being uh, generated by renewable sources mm. and that's quite a quite a step forward from where we were 10 20 years ago where do you stand on nuclear um, I'm ambivalent about it Jerry um, I I know many climate scientists are, are saying to themselves we've got so far down this road of an emergency that we have to use everything at our disposal, including nuclear energy. But I must admit, I'm a little scared of of bequeathing to the next generation and, in fact, bequeathing to the next few thousand years um, something that may be toxic or damaging to to the people that come after us. Uh, If the waste problem was solved, I'd be uh, in a flash in favour of nuclear energy. Um, But the waste problem is not being solved, unfortunately, at the moment. But that's that's something I hope for in the future. Maybe we will get nuclear fusion. But really, we haven't the time. You know, if we started building a nuclear power station in Ireland today, it would take us 10 years for it to be operational. Um, That's really time we don't have in tackling this problem because uh, as you said earlier on, every little helps, but also every year helps, every minute helps in terms of making progress in reducing our emissions. And to kick for touch for 10 years, well, I think that would be a mistake at this stage. There you go, 10 years. That should really crystallise this issue for everybody listening today. Just before we finish, again, back to ourselves, flying less, maybe just taking a day or two without me during the week, composting, recycling, packaging, all that type of thing, John. It all helps. It all helps. Um, You know, as the slogan goes, every little helps. And uh, (laughs) we may think we're insignificant, but uh, collectively... Um, we can we can act uh, as a unit which is, is is quite influential, and we've seen in other countries where a combination of uh, of activities along the lines you suggest can have a demonstrable improvement in the emission rates involved for, for, for greenhouse gases. So so don't think that you're insignificant. Don't think that by taking your little piece of plastic uh, to the recycling area, uh, you're not helping out because uh, uh, you know we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about really what what will happen to the people that come after us? What will they say to us in 30 years' time if we didn't act today? Will they say you were great, you did all the wee things that people wanted to do and you helped stave off the worst excesses of climate change or will they say to us, well, what were you at in 2021 when you were going along this horribly unsustainable lifestyle? We'll be stars of reeling in the years that's played out every summer on RT when the gang are away on holidays from the newsroom. We'll be there. Us, us, this generation, will be in focus if we don't do something. John, uh, you're a rock of sense, a mine of information. Thank you so much for your thoughts today. You're welcome.
take care. That's Professor Emer- Emer- Emeritus Professor uh, John Sweeney uh, from the Geography Department at uh, Maynooth University, a world-renowned specialist on climate change. The message is stark. The message is real. We can all do our bit. And I'd love to see it as well. And I know what's happening, but uh, from the youngest age in school right through education, more education around this and pointing out what needs to be done is so important too. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. In a while, we'll be talking to a man doing his bit, Stephen McCormick, growing the most beautiful salad leaves and more in uh, County Mead, the Royal County. Brian Adams is my artist of the week. I have a cracker from him today and more about him that you might not know, I promise you. And, uh, yes, James Kyo, he's lost a lot of weight. His story coming up on Late Lunch. Short break, back in a mo. I'm not cutting across her anymore. I'm waiting until she's finished. <laughs> it's not long since I heard it. Lovely to hear it again. Cracking song. It really is. China in your hand. And that's from Tapau. From the Bridge of Spies album. Uh, that single was released in October 87. And it spent five weeks at number one in the UK chart. It did indeed. I have a question for you. Who was the lead, or is the lead singer, of Tapau? The group who recorded that song. What's the name of the lead singer? We have new, brand new LMFM water bottles. Have you saw them? Oh, they're so in demand, but they're only given to special people. I'll give one if you answer the question today to one ear. Who was the lead singer with Tapau? 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me quickly with our name and I'll pick somebody from those gorgeous water bottles. You'd be real cool going round with it and giving us a wee plug too. <laughs> anyway, a bit of trivia on your late lunch this afternoon. Yusk, the store that provides everything you need for your home, are opening, did you know this, a brand new superstore at the Ashbourne Retail Park 10am tomorrow. Yes, Scandinavian style is coming to Ashbourne with massive opening offers of up to 70% off and delicious treats, oh they're lovely, from the K&L cakes and desserts range. And to celebrate, here on LMFM, tomorrow is Yusk Day. And across the day, we'll be telling you all about them, their new store in Ashbourne, and giving away over €500 Euro in Yusk vouchers. Remember, Yusk Day tomorrow, so stay tuned to us here on LMFM Radio, and do drop in to their brand new store in Ashburn. It's a cracker, it really is. So we look forward to that tomorrow from breakfast through Sinead and ourselves on late lunch. We'll have giveaways all day, so don't miss it tomorrow on the station. Now, uh, I don't know whether you watch... Louise, do you watch cricket? <laughs> this is a stupid question. I know the answer I'm going to get before I get the answer. You don't, do you? Stupid question. Yeah, you don't watch cricket. I love cricket, Louise. I've mentioned this before on the show, that I, I have had a love of cricket yeah. from when I was a child. Yeah, and I used to watch the test matches. They've been on for five days. <laughs> five days, Louise! I'd love but, to know how they get their jumpers so white. Oh, listen... But now, Louise, it's all colours. Oh, they wear all oh, colours. Oh, they wear all colours under the sun. They certainly do. But the game, they've changed the game. To, they had a, I won't get into the details, but they had a 50 euro thing that happened over a day. Great. Then a 20 over thing, uh, which means a 20 over, they fire about 120 balls each side and they finish it up in a few hours as well. But now there's a thing called the 100 in cricket, right? So each team bowls 100 times. You understand? Yeah. And... The team that's defending the the wicket with the bats try to get as many runs as they can in the hundred balls. You understand? And uh, try and keep as many of the batsmen there without being bowled out. And in cricket, 
if you hit it to the boundary, you know the, the boundary of the pitch, mm-hmm. you get four. If you hit it over the boundary into the crowd, Louise, this is educational cricket today, <laughs> you get six. You get six, right? If you hit somebody in the crowd. <laughs> yes, that happens, Louise. And if you don't get it to the boundary or into the crowd, if you hit it, you run up and down and you can get ones and twos and threes, etc. That's a quick, quick resume of the rules of cricket. But anyway, they've brought in this thing called the 100. Louise, I'm addicted to it. I'm watching it every evening because it's exciting, Louise. What's you know it what I mean? Sky or is it it's on Sky and BBC have it as well. It's so exciting. I recommend it to you if you haven't watched it. The 100 and they've new teams participating in this, but it's great. The game takes place now only over about two hours, little more, two and a half hours, and they have to go for it and bat at the ball and those fellas <laughs> run out and knocked out and everything. Oh, it's fantastic. Just said I'd mention today. I'm really enjoying it. Watching it's a local it. cricket groups. Oh, yeah, there's cricket clubs, yeah. North, North County, Dublin. There's a club in Dundalk. I know Used that's for sure. Used to be one sure. in Mead. Oh, yes, Mead. Listen, uh, uh, as well. But there are cricket clubs. There are cricket clubs. You know, cricket was huge in Ireland before the GAA took hold. Yeah? Do down you know in Kerry and areas like that. Oh, massive cricket swades down there. And Louise, can I tell you this? I've never been to a cricket match in my life. Really? Never. Now, your, I, it's on your bucket list. Oh, I have to do it. I have to go and see a cricket game. I really do. Because it's. I, I really do love the sport. It's a fantastic... And in these new formats, 50 over, 20 over, and the 100 are marvellous. The, the test matches, they're special as well. But I've never been to a first-class cricket match. I have to do that. I really do have to do it at some stage. But I just said I'd mention it for sports aficionados out there today. The rules aren't there. Compli- they're not complicated, are they, Louise? You know your cricket now, don't yeah. you? Oh, she knows her <laughs> cricket now. There you are. Five minute lesson on late lunch and she knows everything about cricket. <laughs> anyway, late lunch LMFM radio. After the break, we're heading to County Mead to hear all about the most lovely salad leaves. Our bookie wook Margaret Madden's been in touch to say, ah, oh, Jerry, that that song, China in Your Hand, Memories of the Scout Den Disco in Malahide. Oh, Margaret. Yes, you got the answer right. I can't give you a bottle, Margaret, but I have one for you. I have one by for you. That's just between you and me. And Margaret came back to say, uh, I grew up, Jerry, beside the cricket club in Malahide. Oh, very posh. And I played myself very badly, Jerry. First time I ever had cucumber sandwiches and thought to myself, what the hell are these? Listen, Margaret, you haven't lived... I go out and pick the burpless for Louise and myself. No burping with my cucumbers. Slice them nicely into the sandwich. A little bit of white pepper on them and a little bit of mayo and take your crusts off and the fresh white bread. And now you're talking. Now you're in the cricket club whether you're there or not. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Margaret. Lovely to hear from you. And I'll tell you who's getting the water bottle a little bit later on. Thank you. You're so many. You're correct. Know your music, don't you? Moving on on late lunch. McCormick's Farm is a second generation family farm. The based in Boystown near Kiltail in County Mead and they're turning over a new leaf boom boom the man in charge Stephen McCormick is back with us on late lunch hello again Stephen Hey, Jerry how are you I'm good thanks for taking our call on the show today uh-huh. we'll tell them what you're doing this is news yeah um, if I start at the beginning I can uh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, my father recently uh, the, 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 the beginning he started at the beginning. His his he, he worked in uh, was a salesman for Warrenstown College, Horticultural College, mm. and everything they grew he sold in the Dublin market. Right. Um, and it's it's both true that he built up contacts over the years, and you know people asked them, you know, can you do this? Can you can you get this for me? And he kind of took them to his head. I'm from a farm background. His, his own father was a dairy dairy hard man and, and sheep. 
uh, maybe I should start growing these things. And that's exactly what he did in 1984. He left his job, and I know I was about 12 years of age. My two younger brothers would have been a lot younger, obviously. And uh, I'm sure he, I, 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 I imagine he sat down with my mum, Laura, and said, will we do it? And that's exactly what they did. You know, but they started growing mainly vegetables and mm. uh, some sidelines and he had an acre of rhubarb and bits and pieces like that. And I obviously, I can't just remember really, but I obviously fell in love with the whole thing. I yeah. myself a degree in Warrenstown. I've uh, done three years there and there was no looking back after that. Um, I, I finished up in 1990 and started full-time down the farm and, you know, 30-odd years later I'm still here you mm, know. good on you and, and uh, as in love with it as ever and looking all the time to diversify change move and shake with the times so look at the, there's, a, there's a history there from your dad through to yourselves but you're in the news as I said because you're doing things to work hand in hand we were talking about the environment with Professor John Sweeney just a while ago and this is obviously on your mind of course it is um, and you know over the last couple of years, it's probably more in my mind ever because my own kids now are, are, are learning all these kind of things of biodiversity and the environment and about plastics and how bad these things are. And I'm listening to them the whole time. And I listen to how they're feeling about the whole thing. And I say to myself, you know, you know we're growers. We're, we're trying to do the best we can, but we can only do what's available to us. But then when we look around and listen to all the simple things that we can do that we've been ignoring over the years, um, like not protecting our, our ditches, the, the birds and the bees, um, you know, the, the small flowers that, that the, the, the bees live in, which we would have took for granted and ploughed headlands in. Uh, now we don't. Now we have a, a kind of a, nearly, a, nearly a 12 metre headland around all our fields where we have our driveway around, but we have a six metres of the actual original hedge untouched. Um, and for the protection, now it sounds a little bit ridiculous for the protection. You know, why, or what, what are we doing that we could be killing them? But the crops we grow is actually of no advantage to the yes. bees and the birds. They're not, they're not going to get pollen for them. Mm. So your ditches are very, very important, you know. Yeah. And um, definitely for us, sustainability and environmental issues is... is, is, is but it's actually, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking around at what we're growing um, and we're looking at our hedgerows and we're looking at waste areas. So we would have considered waste areas now blooming with... You know, wild weeds and 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 and, we, and grasses and wildflowers. And you're kind of saying, geez, you know, this 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 is so simple. It just does it itself. Just yes. leave it alone and let life go on. You know. Well done to you. So that's in that aspect of things. But in terms of your produce and the packaging on it, you know yourself, plastic, recycle. Most of the stuff goes into. You're moving away from this. Yeah. Look, at the, the first first thing thing for us. Like, yes, we have been growers. Um, but the main thing, and this is what drove my father, I think, from the very beginning, he was always only interested in what was been imported, and could we grow it ourselves? Uh, like he wasn't interested in the grower down the road from us and trying to co- co- copy and paste what he does and mm. take his business or try and undercut him. Is what can we do? What can we grow here in, in Ireland or on our farm that's been imported? Um, and uh, if we can do it, well, then do it. Let's build a business on that, and that's exactly what he did. Like he was one of the first people to start growing iceberg lettuce, the first people to start growing Remain, uh, Remain Cost or Little Gem, yes. even though we went away from all them things afterwards. Um, like the Celtic Tire really kicked us off from the vegetables um, to growing herbs and, and, and baby leaves um, because that's what he was being asked for, you know. And luckily, I suppose if maybe if I wasn't in, in, in a lover of growing, Maybe we might have never done it. We might have just continued on what we were doing. Maybe I never would have worked on the farm. But, of course, I, I did. 
And that he, that he was the salesperson and I became the grower, you know, that kind yes. of way. So that's course, that's the second aspect to it then, Stephen. Yeah. So ditches, headlands, encouraging uh, uh, the wild uh, bees and flora and fauna, reducing the air miles in growing crops yeah. that normally come a long, long Absolutely. distance to Ireland. They're here yeah. on our doorstep Absolutely. now. And then yeah. the third aspect, come on to this, the packaging. Right, obviously the pressure is on all growers. Uh, every company, no matter what they're doing in plastics, um, the last two years has been... Um, you know, true demand, people are looking for, for less plastic and trying to turn more towards paper, which is not obviously ideal either. There's still a tree being cut down somewhere. Mm. Um, but there really was no solutions. Um, like Compostable came along and, and a Biodegradable came along, but they, were, they weren't good for what we were doing. The shelf life was was very poor. So you're, you're helping one thing, but you're affecting another. Um, so we kind of knew that, you know, no matter what, we had to change to, or what were we going to change to that was going to be suitable for the consumer and obviously suitable for ourselves. And uh, the main thing was we got talking to a company down in Cork who who really worked very, very hard in this, and a company called Avon Courts, an Irish company, and they were actually starting to recycle recycled plastic. They were working to stop using virgin plastic, which has always come straight from 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 Myleries and that kind of thing. So mm. it was it was used bottles of Coke, seven up, all been chopped up, sterilized and cleaned, remelted down, re rolled, and then the trays or plastic was being was being remed from that. And uh, we kind of said to ourselves, this is what we want to do because we don't want to stop using what we're using because we know it works yes. for shelf life and quality. And uh, but this is but then the thing was, how are we going to get this across to the people, to the consumer? Yes, you're still looking at plastic, but it's it's not the virgin plastic that yes. we would have always used before. This is already recycled. And when you're finished with it, you can put it in your recycle bin and it will be recycled again. Again, yes. So, the, so there's no remaking. Once, once it's made once, that's it. And it's used and used and used over again. Yeah. yeah. And at, that, at the moment, that is probably the best way of dealing with the plastic situation. Um, and um, Because there is no new solution for it. Yeah, so in, for, for any company in foods and food, there's really no solution for us. People want quality. People want shelf life. If we take away the, the plastic that we're using and we start using something else, it will affect the, the, the consumer on the quality and the shelf life end of it. And then they're going to be given out about that as well. Yeah. Well, this solution seems to be an all around at the moment. So we decided then when we, we kind of, well, how are we going to tell the public what we're doing? You know, how are they going to know that my tray that's in Dunn stores or Tesco's or Little or Alley is recycled plastic. And we said, look, we rebrand. Let's totally rebrand. Uh, our brand for the last 10, 12 years was called Loose and Lively. And, uh, but that didn't really, I felt it didn't actually identify to me, to McCormick Farms. Mm. Because it could be anybody who was using the Loose and Lively brand. And I wanted people to realise that, you know, when they see Origin Ireland, yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Ireland's not a big country, but there is a lot of growers in this country, mm. so it could be anybody. So, and the very, very important thing to us is origin Ireland. People know that these are, it's been grown here in County Mead, it's employment for County Mead, it's a family business. So we decided to change the brand to actually McCormick Family Farms, which we exactly what we are. We're two generations, going into possibly a third generation of, of, of family involved in the farm, I hope for my own kids. My oldest is 16, and I hope he's going to, he's, he's enjoying it at the moment. Uh, will he stick six out or not? I don't know, but we we wait. We give time to see how he goes. Um, but the rebranding then was obviously about where this project has been grown, who's grown it, who's packing it, and then obviously we were able to tell people 
on the packaging about her recycling yes. to have an idea and what the plastic is to kind of give them some kind of you know that, like, it's not all that bad yes we so when you go plastic. to those places you mentioned there the multiples that's what you'll see on the packaging McCormick's Family Farm exactly exactly okay. and uh, it's really to identify when they eat by their status it's not just another brand this is a product of the buying in, in County Mead that's been grown in County Mead packed in County Mead and um yeah, that, that, and that's what I want people to believe in. That's what I want from them. Because no offence to the opposition that we were in, 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 but a lot of them don't have origin Ireland on the pack, don't have actually any origin on it. They might have produced in Ireland or packed in Ireland. But 99% of the time, that has not grown in Ireland. Yeah. It might have been packed here, all right? Mm. It does not mean it was grown here. And we want people, the public, to, to know that when they pick up McConnell Family Brands and it says origin Ireland on it, um, that has actually it is it's genuine. grown so, in County Mead. You mentioned the iceberg. What are you growing as well? Rocket, the range of leaves. Our, our, our main, our main, our main lines is uh, baby spinach, which yeah. is a very, very big line. Like the, the things have changed over the last ten, twelve years. You know, retailers. Yes, it was for you know kind of salads and all that kind of thing. And food service, which is restaurant hotels, is all about colour and taste. Mm. It is still, but the main thing is healthy eating. Yeah. And um, that so is baby spinach. What else are you doing? Rocket mixed leaves. Um, we do. We have full range of, of, of fresh herbs: coriander, flat parsley, curly parsley, rosemary, basil, um, and like we've built the farm from nineteen ninety nine from about a hundred acres to just under the seven hundred acre mark now at the moment. That's some achievement. And you're growing all year round with the tunnels and no, the glass. No, no? We, unfortunately. No? <laughs> You know, sometimes I get a dad text or phone call or email from the public saying, oh, I'm very disappointed I bought your pack in, in whatever retailer today and it says Origin Italy on it. And then I'd ring them up and I said, look, this is Ireland, unfortunately. It's December. It's impossible to have our own projects this time of year. Yeah. So we, we work with very good partners in Italy and Spain who supply us over the wintertime. Uh, because we can't stop the show. We can't. We, we employ over 100 people here. That's this moment between the farm and packaging and transport and, and, and so on. You can't be closing in November or mid-October and reopening in April. I understand that, but, but back, you come, you come know? back to that. How do you marry that with what you say? Like, it's grown in mead, it's sourced in mead. You put it on the packaging to say, for a time of the year, it does come from Italy, and you let people know that. So tell us this. For, what's the season for the what's grown in mead? From when to when? Well, mid-April. Yep. For the early crops will start, and we we always hope to get to around mid October, maybe okay. late October. Mm, that mm. is totally weather dependent. You know, you can be lucky sometimes. But yes, generally we have a good strong six to seven months of, of Irish grown of here Irish beside grown, us, yeah. and outside of that, you make it clear you have yeah. identified somebody in Italy, and you only deal with them. That's it, only once, yeah. End of story. It's uh, credit to you, the numbers you employ there, the expansion that's happened and your commitment uh, with the uh, one-use plastic forever being recycled, etc., and looking after those uh, little uh, flyabouts in the environment that need the dishes and headlands, etc. You know, so you're doing you're doing great stuff there. Listen, look, yeah, Gork is very passionate what he does. Like, uh, yeah, he he does some. There's a lot of work and, and. People don't really probably really see what goes on the background of any farm of what they do. Whether it's tillage or it's you know the dairymen or, but we're very passionate what we do, regardless of what it is. But there's no doubt in the last five or six years we are getting we are seeing the results of the environment being more sustainability, be trying to get close to more carbon neutral. We see the benefits, even though it comes at a cost to us. It does come to a cost to us, mm. and but we don't mind. We, we're seeing it. It's our land, our farms. 
And it's important for me to succeed and my sons or daughters to succeed. If I look after the land today, they still be using it in 10, 15, 20 years' time. Now, that's... that's and that's the, the important thing. Yeah, that's the important thing and the way to yeah. be thinking. Stephen, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you for joining me. You're Wish you well. Day. Take care Thanks of yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. McCormick's Family Farm there in Mead. April to October, roughly with uh, the produce coming from the beautiful soil and loam in the Royal County. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Don't forget our numbers to contact us 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And out of hours, if you have a guest, if you have a comment to make or whatever, latelunch at lmfm.ie. That's our email address directly to us, latelunch at lmfm.ie. Faye Winter, Louise, did you ever hear of her? Yes. She's um, well, quite made the headlines last Friday, I believe. Well, she's hit the headlines because there have been 25,000 complaints to Ofcom in the UK about an incident involving that young lady on Love Island. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at her pictures here. She's a... Start from love. She's a nice young one. She is. I'm just... I had to Google her here. I'm Googling her, not Googling her. Well, you know, here, just to see who she was. <laughs> purely for research for the show. Anyway, what happened? Did she say so? Do you, are, you, are you watching it? Well, I think what happened was um, they showed, you know, different clips that were supposed to be private to yes. people. Yeah. And they showed Faye um, kind of clip where Teddy, that she was... A, she, told another lady that he was attracted to her and he was technically single. Okay. And she was shown this clip and she went completely nuts. And did she? all sorts of expletives were used in fly? a rant. She absolutely did, yeah. She has since apologised, but um, yeah, she went, she, she did go a bit above board. Belubis. Yeah, well, for one that's not watching it, you know quite a bit about it. I'll hand that to you anyway. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, as I said here before. I know more about cricket now. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Louise. I like that. That's that's sharp indeed. Anyway, I don't watch Love Island. I've never watched Island. I Love Island. I have no desire to watch Love Island. The only islands I love are the ones in lakes where we pull in for dinner when we're fishing. They're my love islands when we're having the grub up with the boys and we're cutting lumps out of each other and slagging each other. They're my love islands, but I, I have no interest in it. I did like it when Maura Higgins was in it. I watched all that one. This did year you? I kind of tuned in at the start. I don't know. It's very. They're gorgeous. Like, but you're for there. somebody that age looking in on that, like you have to, to look like that these days, it's, it's impossible. Well, that's what causes a lot of difficulties yeah. for young ladies so and young pressure. men. You know, to look, you have to look like this. When I tell you, they're, you know, they're picked because of their looks, because of their bodies, they because are gorgeous. of. Yeah. But how do you compete with that if you're a young person growing up? It's you not. I mean? re, re, Love Island, just in case anybody hasn't caught on, it's not reality. No, but the people in it are real. I know they have enhanced their features and mm. they probably are beautiful anyway. Ah, oh, the ones with these. <laughs> you know the ones with the rubbery lips. That's, <laughs> that's a tribe, isn't it? Says that oh my God. <laughs> Any young one that puts that S-H-I dot T into their lips must be mad. That's all I can say. Stone mad because they look abhorrent. That's all I can think of as I speak about today. Anyway, that's the story with Love Island, your latest update here on Late Lunch. You won't be hearing much more about it, I can tell you. Anyway, after three of the show, Brian Adams' song and story for you and James Kyo. He's lost a lot of weight, but taking us to news, weather and sport at three, it's Dua Lipa. And don't start now. Don't start me now. Don't start me now. I just did. <laughs> <laughs>
Trevor Giff, he's captain of Dundalk Golf Club. He's having a captain's charity golf day this Friday, Friday the 13th of August. Four-person team event, €100 Euro for a team. All pre- proceeds are being split between two great local charities, the Irish Association of Lourdes Volunteers and Watch Your Back MND. There are a few slots still available if you'd like to play and all donations are welcome. If you can't play the golf, give Trevor a shout on 87 278 4676. That's 087 278 4676. Or give them a shout there at Dundalk Golf Club and they'll look after you for a tea time. Well done, Trevor, in supporting those two uh, wonderful charities. Coming to your comments, Kevin has just uh, emailed us in. Don't forget that email address, late lunch at lmfm.ie, and says, Jerry, what would happen if a man spoke to a woman like Faye did? Equality my eye, says Kevin this afternoon. Uh, another one saying there, that girl on Love Island says sorry and apologises and we run her down. Leo Varadkar says sorry and we accept it. <laughs> You're not off the mark there, I have to say to you. Thanks indeed for your comments to the show. The water bottle. Carol Decker was the lead singer with T'Pau and a lovely water bottle for Paula Thornton in Drogheda this afternoon. Thanks indeed to everybody who sent me in the answer. Carol Deck, a wonderful singer with T'Pau, the lead singer there. And now my artist of the week is Mr. Brian Adams. And I want to read a quote for, for you. It says this, When I think of Brian Adams, I think of a great storyteller who writes the kind of songs that make me want to sing. That killer, gritty voice. Brian is the T-shirt and blue jeans guy who has written some truly unforgettable melodies. And those words spoken just last year by Matt Williams, who's regarded as one of the most one of the foremost vocal coaches in the world. And, you know, I was looking at Adam's, like his songs, they're just unbelievable. I saw him when he was in concert in Slane. He was fantastic. He headlined Slane, he did. But his top 10, just running through them quickly, from 10 down at number 10, and this voted for by his legion of fans, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? Number 9 is Cloud Number 9. 8, I Thought I'd See Everything. At number 7, Can't Stop This Thing We Started. 6 is Heaven, which is the song I played yesterday. The number five, the only thing that looks good on you is me. Uh, the only thing that looks good on me, should I say, is you. That one is at number five. Everything I do, number one all over the world. Master seller, number four. It's only number four. When you're gone, number three. Run to you, number two. And his number one song of all time, as voted by his adoring fans, is Summer of 69. It's a great song. I wouldn't be surprised if that is number one. But, you know, besides the music, Brian Adams has put his success to really great use through his foundation. And... He funds this foundation himself, almost entirely himself. And it began uh, with the uh, Live Aid concert in 1985. And the aim is to improve the quality of people's lives around the world. I was just looking at who he supported and continues support to support. UNICEF, Amnesty, the Princess Trust, Greenpeace, Indigenous Peoples, Rainforest Preservation, Famine, Quake and Disaster Victims all around the world, the Hope Foundation, Conflict Resolution Charities, Cancer Cure Research and the list goes on, folks. I ain't joking you. Do you know he's regarded as the most generous, giving and conscientious artist of all time? And there's much more to Brian's CV beyond music and I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. But today, it's back to that top ten. And number seven, another one I truly love. Yeah, Mr. Brian Adams, my artist of the week. Love that song. I really do. He's simply terrific. More about Brian and his music tomorrow on Late Lunch. Helen Carr has just 
WhatsApp me in a picture of the most beautiful little basket of field mushrooms. We were talking about them on the show on Monday. And Jack Riley, who we spoke to, he's been out as well at Monaster Bites. Got a lovely feed of them as well. So the wild field mushrooms are out there, folks, with the moisture after the heat. Go pick them. They're gorgeous. I'll have to get out myself, I promise. Oh, you put the goo in me, Helen. That's for sure this afternoon. Final break of the day. And James Kyo has a weight loss story to tell us shortly. I'll say hello to James Kyo. Hello, James. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for joining me on the show. Let's step back a little bit with you because you're here to tell us about your weight loss story. Yeah. You were 17, you were a decent footballer, but what happened you were playing? You got injured, did you? I did. I, I damaged uh, knee ligaments. Right. And, and did that end um, the football career? Yes. It, it did. And I sort of took on uh, playing darts then. Okay, so darts then. You're obviously a talented all-round sportsman. Hey, folks, listen to this. You were ranked at 71 in the world at one stage with the darts. I was. I was. I was lucky enough to be uh, to be good at, at the darts, you know, and mm. I got to travel the world playing in the professional circuit um, while still holding down a job in Ireland as well. So Yeah, yeah, you were able to combine both. But look, yeah. the story is the weight crept up. I'm sure, was it to do with pints? Plenty of points and plenty of takeaways at the end of the night um, and lack of exercise. Yeah, and and you know. like yeah, I have to say this and give you credit, you did five Dublin marathons. I did, yeah. So you weren't unfit, even though as the weight went on. No, yeah, I could I could stay active, you know. Um, the marathon itself on the day is probably the easy part. Yeah, it's the nine months of preparation and training. Um, you know. I would walk from, I live in Ashbourne here, I would walk down to Fingless and back uh, maybe three times a week. Yep. And, you know, that's all training. Mm. And I was all walking at my own pace, you know. Yes, if I, yes. If I don't, um, I, I would aim to do a marathon in seven hours, you know. Mm. And that was, that was it. Yeah, yeah, I, under, I understand. But you did it and you did five of them. Now, yeah. this is astounding for a fella who was fit as a fiddle, thin as a wisp, Tell them what you reached at your height of weight. What weight were you? Um, I was close on £375. That works out in my reckoning at about 27 stone. Roughly, yeah. Give or take a few few pounds here and there. Japers, James. That is some size. And tell me this. I often, in my mind, try to reconcile this. You are the person getting bigger and bigger. There are people around you who see this happening. You're not unaware of this with your clothes, with getting about. Does the penny never drop that you could be heading for the rocks? Yeah, um, I had started with Slimming World and Weight Watchers, um, but I found it difficult to stick with them. You know, I would lose three stone here and there and I found watching what I was eating kind of hard, trying to track what I was eating. And, um, you know, and I was in the gym here in Ashbourne, but as I was saying to the weeds, there's, there's a jacuzzi and a swimming pool there and a sauna and steam room. And you bypass the machinery and go straight for the sauna and sort of look after yourself, you know, pamper yourself. Mm. But I never really, I, I was always called Big J when I started playing darts. That was my nickname. Um all my shorts were done up with the big JK written on it or big J. And, you know, I was always a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Yeah. As I said, I was, I was always fit. I could play with the kids in the mornings. It was only when, I suppose, when my son was making his communion, I promised him I'd lose weight, and I didn't. Mm. And it sort of dawned on me then, you know, I need to... Yes. Can I, I say this to you? 
Is it an, an addiction? Is it a psychological thing, number one? Is it an addiction that, you know, when you're drinking the pint, you're at the takeaways, you love your food? Can can we describe it as that, that it's an addiction that you have to kick? Yeah, um, I suppose so. Um, I I wouldn't drink from probably one end of a month to another, but if I was going to a darts competition, you would have a, a lot to drink at them, you know, over a weekend. How many pints a day would you skull? Oh, you're talking over the course of a day, easily 20 points like. Wow. And then, of course, there's a, there's a, there's a famish. I know it if you even have a couple. You're hungry. You'd have a hunger then, the, would you? The false hunger, yeah. You go to the chipper on, on, um, on the way home and you get a snack box, a batter sausage or maybe a burger and you polish that off on the walk home. Mm. You know, and then the next morning you wake up and you're lying in it for the day or you're not doing any exercise. Now, folks, don't despair. This man has turned the corner because he met the wonderful Sharon Doherty, who we know so well on late lunch, and you're on the way down. How much have you lost? Um, nearly sixty pound, I'd say, at this stage. Good on oh, you. Yeah, I, as I, as I said, I, met, I took the I took the decision to join Sharon. I've, I read Sharon's story. I, I knew a couple of people that were part of the gym with Sharon and. You know, these, these the guys in the gym all look amazing. They're all very fit. You know, they're they're in the gym for whatever reason. Mm. You know, I joined the gym to stay alive, basically. My, um, my. I have I have a daughter who I want to walk down the aisle when when she's ready. You know, mm. she's only twelve at the moment, and I want to be alive for that. Oh, good man. And and that's a, a real focus. And you mentioned your son, etc. as well. So you're 60 yeah. down. Have you a target? What what do you hope to get back to, if I may say that? Um, I don't I don't have a target. But I will say this. There's certain things in the gym I can't do because of my weight. Um, I, I can't do a full burpee. I can't do a prisoner up and down. And the guys in the gym or anyone that knows that, they're difficult to do. My aim is to do them. Okay. Is to lose the weight, to get fit enough. Um, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes there in five, uh, five months ago. Mm. My blood sugars were way high, you know, um, astronomically high. But I have torn that down. I've cut them in half through working with Sharon and my diet. Yes. You know, I still enjoy having a sweet, but now I know it's, it has to be all in moderation. I would yeah. sit down and eat all around me if if I could. Yes. But now I can't. So you're controlling that. You're exercising at a pace as well. And Sharon is working on magic and the guys in the gym there with you. So oh, 60 yeah. down, you're on the road. You're uh, able to tighten the belt a bit more. I'm sure you see it in the clothes even already. Oh, yeah. And you're on the way. This is the great news today, James Gill. Well, listen, I'm going to say to you, I have to leave you today. We'll tick tack yeah. with you. Is that okay? We'll keep an eye Thank on you. you yeah. And we'll right, be back right. to you and see how you're getting on. Is that a deal? Lovely. Good man. Thank you so much. James, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Wish man. you well. Good on Good him. Man. £60 pounds down and more to be shed, folks. Yes, we'll uh, follow James on his journey. That's a lot today on Late Lunch. Tomorrow, can't wait. Claudia Carroll is with us. I just love her the bits. Ex-Fair City author, brilliant lady. Cathy Grieve is here, chairperson Epilepsy Ireland and more besides to her bow. And Fiona Crawley will tell us about her bug garden on late lunch and more. Brian Adams as well, of course. Anyway, have a nice evening. Take care of yourselves. Eddie's next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. We'll see you for Thursday, late lunch. 
1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault traffic at Blackstone Motors and get a five-year warranty and low APR with same-day business finance. Call our van specialist Danny today. See blackstonemotors.ie. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.